Hello and welcome to Mother Mother, a podcast from the mom friends you need right now, because this shit is hard. I'm your host, Emily Ferris, a writer and married mom of two in Kansas City, and you can find me here every Tuesday talking with a different mom friend about what it's like to be a mother right now. If you want to continue the conversation after this episode, join us in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Mother Mother Podcast, where the password is tired. You can always find more information on the show and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com, where you can also leave me a voicemail. And I know a few of you actually did that after last week's episode, and I have just had like the busiest week of my life, and I'm still getting over this damn cold, and I haven't gotten to them yet, but I promise I will this week. So please keep the voicemails coming. I love them. Okay, now let's get into this conversation with my pastor friend. And I should clarify that she is one of my pastor friends, because for an atheist, I have a shocking number of friends in the clergy. Anyway, here it is. My guest today is the Reverend Anne Cansfield, an old friend of mine, the author of the forthcoming Be the Brave One, Living Your Spiritual Values Out Loud, and a pastor, a chaplain for the New York City Fire Department, the first female and first openly gay chaplain of the fire department, the first ever New York Times New Yorker of the year. And were you also the first openly gay Dutch reform pastor? Not exactly. Much more complicated, but other ones, yeah. I, I know there's a complicated story there. Well, welcome to Mother Mother. I'm so happy to have you here. We go way back. Do you remember when we met? I think we met at the bookstore. We did. We met at Word, uh, Word Bookstore in Brooklyn. On the corner of Milton Street. Milton and Franklin. Down the Those block were your from cat's names. Milton and Franklin. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I um, was a reformed Christian. Um, I'm an atheist now, but I spent a lot of time in the church growing up, and so we—I don't know—you felt you felt familiar to me, and so I started. I went to the church a little, but I sang in the choir and I volunteered in the soup kitchen, and um, you performed my wedding ceremony. I did. That was so fun. It was a great wedding. It was a great wedding. It was a really fun wedding. I gave you and your wife. The gift of a weekend away when your son was a baby. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. I mean, I don't know if it was a gift. I'm sure you paid me, but like... That was a gift. No, it was a serious <laughs> gift. It was still a gift. You paid me, I think. But yeah, I stayed with your son. He was probably about the age that my youngest is now, about 20, 21 months, maybe. Oh, no. Younger. I think he was like three months old. No, 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 no. He was... he. No. Yes. I'm pretty sure it was in October because I remember we went... You went to Hershey. We went to Hershey yeah. to go to like the spooktacular roller coaster things at Hershey Park. And I was like a 20 something single woman living in Brooklyn. And I was so excited to stay in your very amazing apartment and play mom for a weekend. And I well, I had nannied a lot and, and spent a lot of time with kids. So it was very exciting for me. And I loved it. And now I'm playing mom with my own two kids in Kansas City. But I think it's, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he was like ridiculously young and we were ridiculously desperate to get away. I get it now. I totally get it. So I want to talk about your book and so many things, but I want to talk about your lockdown. But first, I feel like I should warn our listeners, Anne and I both have ADHD and we haven't talked in person in a while. Hold on to your hats. So tell me, Anne, what your lockdown was like with two kids in you moved from Greenpoint to Hell's Kitchen. A block from Times Square. A block. Oh, my God. You were 
still being the chaplain for the fire department, still running the soup kitchen. And then you had two kids at home doing online school. And Jen, your wife, was she, I assume she took her therapy clients virtual? That was actually, thank goodness, that was the easiest of all the transitions. Yeah, she's a, she's a marriage and family therapist. And, and then we co-pastor at the church. So church moved over to Zoom. It took a little while to get used to, but it was also just wonderful to actually look at people's faces and actually get to reconnect with people. Yeah. And to the, especially in the beginning, there was a sense of flexibility enough that like we are in a serious emergency here. We're all pulling on the rope together to, to get through the emergency. And even our kids, they mean well, but they are. They mean well. <laughs> they mean well. They're 10 and 13 with what we call the magic brain. Also having ADHD, the magic brain. And one has dyslexia. The other has dysgraphia. And um, so, so we tend to be rather loud in our family um, and impatient. I've been wondering leading up to this interview what it was like in your home because I know you. Um, and I say this with love. If I were locked in an apartment with you, I probably might try to kill you. We'd probably kill each other because we're both yeah. like high energy, loud ADHD people. But your wife is a marriage and family therapist. I'm sure you guys all drove her crazy as she probably drove you guys crazy. Like everybody drove each other crazy. But she, I, I imagine of all people um, surviving a pandemic with an ADHD spouse, like she was probably very good at, at managing everyone's needs and energy. Is that true? Well, first off, uh, in full disclosure, for the early weeks of the pandemic, my parents were very gracious and said, please send us one of your children. Oh, amazing. And so, every, so one child was with them, which did definitely relieved the burden on the overall household, not just the space. And thank goodness, I'm so grateful for my parents for, for their willingness to do that. So every other week, we would go and exchange a kid. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they didn't kill each other. So they didn't kill each other. If I would have been locked in an apartment with my sister, we would have killed each other. I only say this about people I love, like my husband and I right. almost killed each other. But you have a yard. And like at this point, like I think that there were probably for the first six to eight weeks when things were so bad in New York, we were exiting every two weeks, go get groceries, like drop off a kid, pick up a kid, pick up groceries, come back, stay here for two weeks. Yeah. And you had to stay super safe to keep your parents safe, obviously. Right. Exactly. Yep. It was. It was a little intense. The, the, uh, one of the kindest things that my wife said to me, because really I spent a lot of time carefully worrying for the people that I care about, like whether it was congregants who were sick at the time, whether or not it was fire department members. But, um, but I, I have never prayed as hard as I have. I spent a lot of time praying. It may have looked like I was um, doing minor home improvement projects. I built a soundproof wall between my apartment and my neighbor's apartment during this time. It took a lot of time. It was great. It was because I needed something like I think physically to to stay busy. Oh, I know that. That's why I have all new lights and window treatments since pandemic because I also need to do things with my body just to like settle my mind. Like I need to be working on right. something and fixing something and changing something and I'm sure that's like general anxiety but also probably has to do with our ADHD as well. Like right. needing that needing that project to do. And my wife very lovingly looked at me and she's like, you are just a caged animal. I can see that this is, this is not, this is not good for your soul because you need to be around. I'm such an extrovert. She's like, you really need to be with your people. Yeah. You've described yourself as a, as a hyper extrovert. Right. And so it, it felt really kind for her to be like, you're just a caged animal right now. And, if, and she's like, eventually you're going to settle down and you'll just lie down. Did you though? I did. You did? Oh, good. I did. 
Now, you were also working on the book, right? You were working, you were writing the book during this? So most of the book was actually done. Well, all of the book was done. The manuscript was in in December. Oh. And I was just like, I can't do it. This isn't going to happen. Like maybe. And I didn't realize it was only 10. It was really a short time, like 10 hours max amount of editing. It wasn't a lot. I thought we had a huge amount more to do. Um, but we ended up postponing the book by a year as a result. Oh, wow. And we're going to talk about the book more in a little bit. I'm still like trying to visualize your lockdown here. Can I paint you a visual picture? Please paint me a visual picture. Yes. We're very lucky. We live in city affordable housing that is a three-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment. And the day before New York entered official lockdown, my upstairs neighbor texted me and said, we've had it with the small refrigerator. If we're going to be locked down, we need to have a bigger sized refrigerator. So this, the fridges that are in our units are quite small. So we have, um, we called PC Richards, the electronic company, and they have um, two left that would fit into our apartment units. We're getting one. Would you like the other one? And I had just dropped $1,000 on the soundproof wall. So I was like, uh, I don't think so. But then I realized I could go and take their old one. So I was like, can I have your leftover one? And they were like, yeah, what are you going to do with it? So I uh, cut a piece of plywood over at the, <laughs> over at the church to, and um, put it over the bathtub in one of the bathrooms and then put the extra refrigerator on top of it. That's brilliant. Right. And then put the coffee maker and we got a, we invested heavily in, in our, um, what we, what I like to call the water closet because it has all sorts of things that are made. So, so wait, so did people still also shit in there? Um, yeah, but it's a very large bathroom. Okay. Very large. Fine, I mean, fine, people, fine. you know people, what? My children. Yes. You know my what? Children did. You know what? It, we, it's pandemic. You do what you got to do. Survival. It was, I know Jen had some similar issues, but um, now we have a, an espresso machine. In the bathroom. Espresso ma- in the bathroom. I mean, it's all on the other side of the bathroom. So now you just have like one, everybody shares a shower. Right. Okay. All right. You need to build a wall there, Anne. Build that wall. Build that wall. Ooh, I could enclose it in a cabinet. You could even, you know what you could even do? You could put like a sliding glass door on a track so you can just like not get the shit spray. In your little mini kitchen. Yeah, but you can just do that in the other bathroom. Okay. Like to your family's bowels. It's fine. It's all good. You seem to have it under control. No one's gotten sick. I don't right? like I don't understand. Are your kids like are they shitting outside the toilet? Because mine can they can aim in. No, but I have theories about, you know, when you flush the toilet, what happens? Yeah. You put the cover down the toilet. Yeah, you put the cover over the toilet. Well, you no longer have a five year old boy. Right? I mean, I'm telling you, there's still pee all around. It's everywhere. Pee is sterile. You're fine. One boy, so much pee. You don't even have a husband. Let me tell you, that is that is one of the better aspects of being a lesbian. I do want to talk about the division of labor in your marriage. I'm in a cis-hetero marriage, and I um, have, at times, idealized a lesbian partnership when I think about the division of labor in my home, because there are things that I do as a woman because of society's conditioning. And there are things that my husband, it has never crossed his mind to do because of society's conditioning. Do you find that you have a pretty equal division of labor and emotional labor when it comes to your kids? So at different points in our lives and with our kids, 
we as a couple have committed to doing different things. So, for example, Jen went and got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Well, for her to go and do that labor for the family, which it was labor for the family, it meant I needed to do the bulk of the childcare at home. I would say we tend to go and say, oh, this is all of the work that needs to be done. Which one of us is best equipped to do which activity? So um, while I definitely have ADHD and can go off on tangents, I also have amazing spatial um, abilities. Jen does not. So um, packing luggage, packing a car, um, those activities usually fall to me. Um, I have tended at times to do more of the um, cleaning uh, Lately, she's taken on the laundry, although we both went on laundry strike with the, the kids. I highly recommend a laundry strike. Just be like, I am not doing your laundry anymore. Done. I, I also tend to be the, the, the fix-it gal with power tools, with the exception that if it has um, complicated instructions, uh, like anything from Ikea, that's Jen's job. So she assembles things with instructions because I'm like, uh. Yeah, I also don't read instructions. I'm the fixer, but I also don't like I can't pause to read instructions. Really, they get in the way. They, they do. They really do. Um, Jen does the bulk of the cooking, um, in part because cooking and food actually require an incredible amount of executive functioning. Mm-hmm. My husband does all the cooking and the grocery shopping because I can't. I don't. I can't. So I'll do the grocery. I'll do the grocery shopping. We now have a, a list. We have a checklist of all of the food items that we purchase in general, and then we sit down at the table, take an inventory, checking off the various things, going through the list so we don't mess anything on the inventory. And then I actually love doing the grocery shopping because it's basically like this, 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 and this. And um, as long as I get what's on the list, I am, you know, a big winner. So, uh, so I do a lot of, I do a lot of that, but like, uh, for example, this morning I begged Jen to um, call the easy pass people to sort out some problem with our easy pass account she would do that she she uh she tends to handle the kids uh doctor's appointments mm-hmm. and mine you know like she orders me on her pants because i would never do that um <laughs> uh, but i break down the boxes i love breaking down the cardboard boxes mm-hmm. handling the recycling mm-hmm. so like i was thinking this morning i realized oh i need to clip my son's nails and i realized like my husband has never clipped either of our kids nails and it's just something that like I think about and he doesn't think about. And I think there are little things like that. I was talking to someone in my last episode about um, how I'm the one who is always sorting the clothes and swapping out the sizes. And these are just the things that that would never even cross my husband's mind. And he would just put the baby in small pants because that's what's in the drawer. And like it's those things. It's not – he is not intentionally not doing those things. They just don't cross his mind because – of the way that he, I guess that he was raised and society's conditioning and different things we think about. And I, I do wonder in a um, two mom partnership, like little things like that, do you have to, like, would have, like, do both of you clip your kids' nails? I clip nails, actually. I'm the nail clipper. I don't know how that happened. I mean, I suppose if I forget, maybe Jen would notice. Jen swaps out the clothes because I wouldn't notice at all. What's also interesting is that there are other soft skills in parenting that we don't usually think about. So folding the clothes, putting the clothes away, even swapping out, those are like pretty hard skills. Like, I mean, as in like well-defined. 
But now that we're trying to go and help our children to be a little bit more independent. So like I will go and make up a list, the to-do list in the morning, the morning list, you know, brush your teeth, put on your clothes, um, teaching a kid, especially kids with ADHD, how to actually go from one thing to the other, to the other is incredibly frustrating. So I can go and basically propose a system or structure, uh, but actually encouraging them and coaching them through that, Jen does. How old were you when you got diagnosed with ADHD? Because I was 35 and I feel like I didn't have any of the tools up until then to kind of manage my own executive function. So it's your kids are lucky that you're teaching them these things now. Like when did you get diagnosed and figure it all out? Right after I started seminary, so when I was 25. And I would say it's definitely been a, a challenge over the years, like I talk about it openly with people, mostly because it's it's a good um, coping skill to let people know. Like it isn't that I the fire department is great because it's it's like long periods of time waiting for something to happen and then solid focus at an emergency level. Oh, I mm-hmm. love it! It's great. But when that when that emergency happens and I I basically like get raptured and people where where did Anne go? I don't know. She could be gone for several days if we have a line of duty death. Oh, I, I always say like, I am the person you want around in a crisis or an emergency because I will snap into action and I can stay awake for three days and I will make shit happen and I will get shit done. It is a superpower, I think. Right. It is. It's a total superpower. Yeah. But then if you're a human being that's like, where did Anne go? I was just in the midst of a nice little conversation with her. And then people say, oh, she doesn't care about me. And it isn't that. So I have, I, I have made this mistake before. Um, that I just upfront say to people, I'm really, you know, I want to be connected to you. Sometimes I may drop the ball because other things might happen in my life. It isn't that you're not important. Oh, that's how I ended up in marriage counseling because <laughs> my husband was like, oh, she doesn't care about me. And it's it's not that I don't care about you. It's all of my attention and energy are going to something right now. It has to be there. So I'm working on that. Well, you know, the timing like, uh, uh, thing is really difficult now or not now. It's really like either I'm intensely focused on something that's now or anything else that isn't doesn't need to be dealt with right now it goes into the not now thing and who knows when not now gets picked up how do you think that affects your parenting well i can definitely say that some of the not now tasks of parenting like i can kick it down the road for a long time your example of of sorting through sizes of clothes if there is no pressing moment where that is going to be problematic until like literally my daughter came and had was like i do not have any more socks. Can't wear any socks. Mm-hmm. Don't have any. And Jen, Jen told me, she's like, it was really funny. I went into Grace's closet and she had baby socks and she wears them <laughs> size nine now. Like this is, <laughs> yeah. um, my biggest fear was that I was going to forget my kid one day at school. Like just totally forget that I had to pick them up because I would have gotten so focused on that. Um, I actually have many panics about that all the time. Like, am I where where the am I supposed to be? Even though that's Kyle's job now. Like, he he's home more, and I'm working more, and he's kind of the picker upper and dropper offer. But one day a week, I have to do it. And right, every, I'm like, oh my god, am I supposed to be picking up a kid? Where are the kids? What's going on? Well, and also if something if somebody um, if there's like a shift, so both of our kids go to the same school right now. They both leave at the same time. They both come back together. It's great. We have really hit school nirvana. I have to say. Except earlier this week, um, my son's class had to move to online. So then, like, who's going to pick up his younger sister at school? Because he won't be there to take the bus home with her. That was a big pivot. 
which to some people, I don't think it would feel like a really big pivot. And more interestingly to me was my own defensiveness because my daughter texted me like, mama, where are you? And I thought my wife was picking her up and she thought I was picking her up. And I called my wife and basically had a mini meltdown thinking that I was going to be in trouble because I, you know, hadn't remembered, even though I didn't think it was my job. It just fell through. Um, Which, you know, there are so many of those times in families where somebody thinks somebody else has it and the, you know, the ball falls through in the outfield. Yeah. There's a, it's hard too when you're both working and the kids are in different places and it's a lot. I do think that it's helpful. It, I mean, that my ADHD has been really helpful in terms of having to be really intentional about certain routines with kids, yeah. as well as also working to getting them on board. So now we have family cleanup day on Saturday. Really, I don't mind doing anything if I can just do it with someone else. You are a true extrovert. I really am. I'm like, oh. I'm like, get the fuck out of the house so I can clean. <laughs> oh, Wow. You can come and clean my house. Uh, well, you know, it's hard with two little kids because I put something away and they just drag it right back out. Right. I feel like that is there, like there's a certain almost like Zen serenity that comes with parenting. Like, oh, I didn't need that camera that you just broke. Oh, like I'm just like you've taken all of my things and broken them or come close to breaking them. Or I've now like I just can't care about things anymore. I am so much more Zen. Um, you know, you've. I, I don't have a body anymore. Meat sack. Totally. Like, um, that isn't my own. Uh, and, and, and I don't really have much, like, physical space in our in our apartment anymore. It's. It, I really feel that, like, parenting is its own sort of process of, of, of shedding our, our own um, personal selfish desires or even unselfish desires. And that's why when uh, people who have kids talk about people who don't have kids as being selfish. Like, I could never understand that before I had kids. Oh, yeah. I'd be like... Why do you think that somebody who's single or doesn't have kids is selfish? Like, what is the big deal? And it isn't that they're actually being selfish. It's that you feel once you have kids that you have to be so selfless. I always knew I was selfish and self-centered and, you know, I want things and I get them for myself and I make them happen. And getting married and becoming a parent really shocked me in that way because it's like I no longer have autonomy over my time, over my body. Over my over the drinks in your fridge, like I really, oh my god, I'm like, please, can you just not drink the last drink that's mine? Luckily, I'm the only one who drinks Lacroix, though my five year old thinks he likes it now. That's the hardest part, I think, for me of being a parent is no longer being in control of my time and my space and my body at times. Um, I think it's probably why I kind of hated breastfeeding so much. I just I was so glad to be done with it both times because you do you give up so much of yourself. It's really why I'm building a shed in the backyard right now, so I have a space that is just mine because I like I have this office that I'm currently in that maybe the next time I record this show I will be in my shed hopefully and um it's right off the kitchen and I hear everyone and people come in and take things off my desk and touch things and my son it's very sweet but he'll like put letters under the door and it's just like I need a space that is just my space I mean I think that my children think I have like tremendous bowel issues because I just spend inordinate amounts of time in the bathroom and it's I am the dad of memes who spends 40 minutes on the toilet. Right. Well, and, and, and I'm just like, please, not while I'm in the bathroom. The other day, somehow, this amazing confluence happened, and all three other family members of mine were in the bathroom with me. And I was like, what, what did I do? Like, I believe I set some decent boundaries here. There's a door, and 
yeah, the bathroom door is a boundary. Respect the boundary. But that's it. Like, that's like the only, I'm, I'm down to the bathroom door for a boundary. And even that apparently is, is oh, gone. Yeah. But, but I don't really think that that's necessarily selfish, right? That is, let's, let's talk about the giving tree here for a second. You know, like it okay. isn't selfish to say, I need a space of my own and I need you all to sort of participate in your own way in family life. And I think it will make me a better mom having my own space that I can go to and then I can re-enter family and hopefully give more of my attention to my family because I've had fewer distractions throughout the day. You know, as they age, our children become more capable of participating in family life together. So it doesn't feel just like they're takers. There's such moochers though, right? I remember you telling me before I had kids, I I think I was pregnant when I was pregnant with Teddy. I think you're the one who told me this. You said that becoming a parent made you so productive because you realized how little time you had now. So you like crammed so much. You became so much more productive in the time that you did have. And I've kind of let that guide me. And I've reminded myself that like if Anne, Anne has ADHD and if Anne can do it, I can do it too. I can be really productive <laughs> when the kids, and I tell myself that a lot. So even if you didn't tell me that, I attribute it to you and I've thought it was you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily know how productive I am with kids. But I do think it helps you to see frame what's important in life and what you want to get done. And you only have a certain amount of time and and they are they're very distracting when when they're around. So I think that was especially one of the most difficult things about the pandemic for moms and in some ways moms and dads. But the reason why I think we're still really talking about it so much is it's like, oh, my gosh, having small kids at home is a 24 seven thing there really isn't much of a break at all. And that's, um, that is really difficult and traumatic almost. But even when they're not home, it's not like you fully relax because you could always get a call from the school, from a babysitter, from a grandparent. Like you always have to be on alert a little bit. Like it's never, you never just get to like really fully relax. Like when my kids are home, I put my phone on do not disturb overnight. But if they're at grandparents or if my older son is sleeping over at a friend's house, like I leave my ringer on because you you have to be available as the parent. Welcome to responsibility. We're going to talk about that. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about that. But before we go to break, Anne, what are you wearing? Um, I'm wearing a clerical collar with the collar open, you know, like the little, you know, like your, your average little priest vicary shirt. Okay. Um, I didn't know you could open, open that. You, oh, yeah. See, Anne and I can see each other on video. I'm kind of on call right now for the fire department. So I'm wearing my fire department uniform with some um, with some running shoes on because... In case you have to run. <laughs> in case I have to run. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. We are back. Anne is uh, lamenting the fact that I don't have advertisers yet, as am I, because I want to hire an editor for this show. So you're going to drop an ad for God for me here? Yeah. Are you looking for something in life? How about God? Try it with a dash of prayer. Really works miracles. Available 24-7. No, uh, I want to, what else is there? I mean, I feel like maybe- Got God? Got God? Oh, that's good. (laughs) Got God? Really works miracles. Gotgod.com. I feel like that's probably art. Don't be don't be scared into having a mean, vengeful God. Try grace-filled, easygoing, forgiving God. I like it. Yeah. Probably the only God ad that will ever appear on this show, right. but I like it. But that's a great segue into talking about your book, which is called Be the Brave One, 
Living Your Spiritual Values Out Loud, and it comes out December 14th, so people can pre-order it now. My big question about this is, is there anything in this book for people who aren't Christian? Because I don't think I would buy a book by a pastor, except for that guy, John, somebody I follow on Twitter, Pav, John, what's his name? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. But like, I don't think I would buy a, a book by a pastor if I didn't know you. Me neither, I'd like to say. Why would someone who is not a Christian be interested in this book? I would say first and foremost, you are actually the type of person that I would hope would read the book. Not because I'm looking to convert you, because I'm not. Like You know, that's a lost cause. Yeah, A, lost cause, but B, like above my pay grade. That, definitely above my pay grade. Instead... I think it's a kind of curious thing. Like, how do you get a married lesbian with two kids? Why on earth would anyone be connected with the church? Especially in light of what the church certainly did to my dad. So my dad was the president of a seminary, was put on trial for officiating at my wedding. You can read about it in the book, but otherwise, I mean, like, hey, it wasn't a fun time at all. And yet there's still something so attractive about faith that I'm interested in giving my whole life to the enterprise. What is up with that? And why? How do you actually, how do you actually rationalize that when, um, you know, I mean, most pastors, I would not want to read their books. I'm not into a fear-based religion. I'm not so worried about, you know, saving souls. Or, but I am very interested in making the most out of what we have in life. So I think there are so many people who know what hell on earth is like, have had really, really difficult times that, um, that I'm, not, I'm not so into talking about hell in the next life. That's also above my pay grade. But rather, what do we do in this life to make it more heavenly? So I, I would hope that, that folks like you would be interested and I really much prefer skeptical people, um, people who are doubtful, than people who are like confidently sure about um, faith in general. Mm -hmm. Like it's totally a mystery, and isn't it a beautiful mystery? And where do we see the mystery play out in our real life? Like I think we can all see moments of what I would call divine beauty. Other people might just call it like creation or whatever. Where we're like, this is. This is amazing. So it's a book. Technically, it is about living out your values. It's a lot of stories from um, from the adventures of my goofy um, weirdo life. And why are they adventures? How did they get to be interesting enough, I think, to merit anybody's time to read? I think it's just the gift of, of other people and that God works through the other people that God sends to us. It's, I think one of the reasons why I really like working in the fire department, because... I like to say that we actually answer people's prayers, like calling 911 is a big prayer. Yeah, it is. And, and that God actually, yeah, it's a big prayer, right? So. And you hope you don't get put on hold. <laughs> <laughs> and how does God answer that prayer? God sends broken, messed up people who have very ordinary lives to do very extraordinary things. And that's you and that's me at any given time. And you said, you talked about values, like you and I, like you are a Christian and you are a pastor and I am an atheist, but I would say that our values are fairly aligned. Like I don't pray to God and I don't go to church, but in general, like the way that we look at and value and think humanity should be treated, like I think our values are pretty damn aligned on that front. Right. I mean, it's also interesting. I, I'm not going to convince you otherwise that you pray or don't pray. 
but I think that you definitely send out some good intentions. Or as I like to say, I manifest that shit. Right. I mean, I think that that's like parenting itself is such an impressive act of hopefulness. Yeah. And mystery. Like, you can't tell me that there isn't some amazing mystery of children. Like, wow. We have different language to describe the way that we exist in the world. But I think there are universal truths. And there are probably some in this book that are valuable to uh, any, any parent. Well, and I think that that's actually a really important thing think about together is it seems like we are very divided as a country and as a community these days um and that actually we can find so many things that we can relate to each other with whether it's feelings of wanting to belong and experiencing isolation in the face of that um whether it's uh, self-doubt or the ability to be our authentic self, um, whether it's feeling like we've made mistakes and not knowing how to clean up our mess. Um, I think all of those are really relatable. Yes. And that starting with those points, unfortunately, we don't usually go up to meet somebody we might not share similar things with and say, hi, can you tell me a story where you, where you were your most authentic self? Um, which is really too bad because those are the most interesting stories. Like oh, totally. How many, especially like on the playground, like the mom talk on the playground is usually there's like some, I've never felt more like a seventh grade Anne of, of like, I'm not a cool girl than I have on the playground with other moms. I mean, New York or city like, moms are very cool. Right. And and I'm just not. You're cool in your Anne way, Anne. I am. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm the coolest Anne Cansfield that I can possibly be. Yes. And that is all that I need to be. But what's amazing is I think I think a lot of moms feel similarly. Yeah. But they don't feel like they fit in. And they don't readily, we don't readily move to asking these big questions like, tell me a story about where you were vulnerable. Speak to me about who your authentic self is and how you... <laughs> At least not until you've had a few glasses of wine. Right? And and so practicing those things is, is its own um, act of parenting ourselves, I think, in some ways. When our kids take their first steps, we aren't like, oh my gosh, you really screwed that up. Instead, we're like, oh, you did it. You took a step. Isn't that great? And um, somewhere along the way in life, we, we get very judgmental with ourselves and we don't cheer each other on in the same way. It's like, well, you, you took that step. Way to go. Wow. You admitted that you made a mistake. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. I hope that my book is relatable similarly, I think, to, to Ted Lasso, who I think is Mr. Rogers for our, you know, for, for the most recent generation. Which I feel like I'm the only person on earth who's never watched it. I only just started watching it. And I found it really interesting because it, it actually talks about our feelings and, um, you know, our deepest longings and things like that. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that there's a show that's talking about these things. I have a bad TV habit where I prefer TV shows about people who wear really nice clothes and are really horrible to each other, like um, <laughs> Succession. Succession. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the book. So what is your favorite chapter in this book? I think um, if you're in a hole, stop digging. Can you, uh, not to give away too much so people don't buy the book, but can you summarize it for our listeners? Um, sure. So when, when I was a kid, I would um, tend to go and get myself in a little bit of trouble. And whenever that would happen, um, my dad would say, uh, uh, Anne, or he would probably say, Annie, um, when you're in a hole, stop digging, throw out the shovel. 
And then I would usually probably dig in and continue to do whatever it was and make the argument for my case. And then he would look at me again and throw out the shovel. Um, and so the idea is that you know, we all make mistakes. We all um, either purposefully or inadvertently hurt people. And when someone holds up a mirror and you see yourself and you see a vision of yourself that you don't particularly like, there can easily be a tendency to either run away from it or not want to see it. Um, but the chapter itself hopefully inspires us to to stop digging and to to be brave about looking at at what at what we see about ourselves in the mirror. So, um, in particular, around um, white privilege and racism, asking people what the impact of our of our mistakes has been in their life, and learning to um, be brave and just listen to it, even if we don't, even if we want to run away from it. Because I think most of us want to run away. When I think about the people that I've hurt or the, the things that I've done that I'm most ashamed of, I really don't want to think about them at all. And I want to run away. And I certainly don't want to ask what the impact of them was. Like, what if somebody actually tells me what the impact was? That would feel awful. And I've been trying to do that. And you know what? Like, I would have thought I, I would have exploded or ceased to be. And instead, the relationships actually and I can grow up and be a bit more mature and all sorts of really wonderfully good things can happen when I, um, yeah, do the brave thing and ask people what the, what the, what the impact of my, of, of, of my behavior, especially the stuff that I'm most ashamed of has been, has been in their life. So I mean, that gives away the whole um, chapter pretty much. I, I'm the same way. Like, I don't like to think about the bad ways I've acted and how it's affected people. And I've started in, if when I get in a fight with my husband, when I apologize, I'm like, I don't like who I was when we were having that fight. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I, I don't want to be that person in a fight again. But it's taken me, you know, years of marriage and some marriage counseling. Do you find that some of this you've developed, like, being married to a marriage and family therapist? You know, it sounds like you seem to think that I have like a marriage therapist on call. Well, you're married to a, a marriage counselor, which might it blows my mind. So obviously, she knows how to communicate within a marriage. Um, so is she has she like taught you things? Has she has she counseled your own marriage? I really like your narrative about what it's like to be married to a marriage counselor. Um, <laughs> I suppose we have both benefited from the fact that we are in the fields that we're in. Mm hmm. Um, she has yet to burn up in a fire and, um, and I am married to a marriage therapist. Uh, but it is not always so easy to like therapize oneself or help oneself when one is in the moment. So, um, I think it could be really easy to think, wow, Ann and Jen have this like idealized marriage and, and that is not the case, but what is helpful is that I think we together have worked out that we're on the same team that we want the best for each other. We root each other on and we've set some, I think we have a really great um, basic foundation within our marriage. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure that who knows if going to marriage therapy training to become a marriage therapist, I would imagine it has some beneficial um, things to one's own marriage. I also think that it's really hilarious that people are like, oh, you're married to a sex therapist. You know, I actually was going to talk about, I know you guys too well, and I just don't even need to go there. I would say we have a benefit of like having many years of practicing, talking to each other, many years of, um, of saying, I'm sorry. I, I really liked the way you said 
that, you know, I don't want to be that person. Um, that's a really great way of saying that. Like, yeah, I, in the heat of the moment, especially with two wild children in a tiny apartment, um, yeah, I say I say things that I wish I hadn't, and I can be a person that I wish I wasn't. And um, and it's really great that like within a marriage we can do two words, mm-hmm. and we can um, we can we can try it differently. And sometimes we may miss the mark, and other times we'll we'll hit it. Um, and that when we see certain things that we're doing that are dysfunctional, we can um, you know when we're in a hole, we can stop digging. Um, and I want to keep talking to you because we haven't talked in so long, but we've been talking, I'm already going to have to edit out so much of this episode, which makes me sad. And I- I'm just going to like, try to make sense of all of our ADHD chatter and make it all flow. Um, and if I don't, I'm just going to leave this part in. So everybody knows what I what I was up against here. What you're up against, right? <laughs> how How is the experience of, of being a podcaster work for you? Like, are you enjoying this? I love it. It is a lot because I am starting this new job soon. I wasn't expecting to start a full-time job, but I got offered a staff writer job at Epicurious and I accepted it. And I just sold a book, my essay collection about ADHD. And I didn't really mean for all of this to happen at the same time. So it's a lot, and but I love it. And I, I love getting in and editing and doing it. But probably part of my ADHD is that I like hyper fixate on things. And like I get I'm a perfectionist, so I will spend way too much time editing sometimes. So I'm excited to sell ads so that I can eventually hire an editor so I can hand off that part of the work. And then it will be more like, I just get to have fun conversations and then not stay up until 3 a.m. editing an episode. If I were you, I wouldn't be too um, intimidated by the by the the holy trinity of new exciting things for you in your life. In part because, I mean, I've watched you over the years. And I think there's also a reason why it took you a while to be diagnosed with ADHD. And it's actually that you you work pretty smart in terms of developing systems. So your intake system for the podcast is pretty impressive. And and you probably don't see that necessarily as a huge gift because it comes quite naturally to you in terms of doing something, you know, creating a system and then just reworking that over time is saving you an, an incredible amount of time. I think it's super interesting in life that, you know, the things that we're really super gifted at, we don't even notice. Yeah. And instead we fixate on the things that we find difficult. So my process of writing this book, I almost agonized way more over the things that I wasn't good at, obviously, and totally, totally belittled the stuff that I was great at. Which is probably the opposite of what you were telling people in the book. I didn't even see the stuff that could be really great since it's like breathing. So like you don't see your giftedness in terms of like, not just your creativity and your ability to write really interesting, fun things, uh, but also you actually do have some some really great like systems in your life that you've created that make things a little bit easier. Out of necessity, but thank you. Yes. Yes, yeah. completely out of out of necessity, but also like leveraging technology to be a to be a helpful thing. I think that um, probably as long as you think that you need to go and run a little fast to go and keep up with your three new enterprises. Um, you'll be just fine. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What Anne just said here is exactly why you should go and buy her book, because her book is full of this kind of feel-good wisdom, right? I would say that. I skimmed it to see if I was in it. I haven't fully read it, but I skimmed it. I don't I don't know if you're in it. I don't I think I'm in it. I can't remember. Maybe you're not. I can't believe I'm not in it. Right? Well, you know... Uh... After everything we've been through together, Anne, I can't believe I'm not in it. Well, I've only skimmed it. I'll let you know when I finally... Or did you read the audiobook? Is there an audiobook? No, there isn't yet, but I need to find out... Um, how many copies I need to sell in order to get the audiobook? Because that's really what I want. I mean, I I don't necessarily want it for me. I want it for all the people who like 
I have a hard time reading books. I don't really read them. Same. So, I listen to audiobooks now. But an audiobook is pretty awesome. Let's bring it on. Okay, before we go, Be the Brave One, Living Your Spiritual Values Out Loud comes out December 14th, but people can pre-order it now. Uh, there is a link in the show notes and at mothermotherpodcast.com. You can buy it at independent bookstores through Bookshop or on Amazon. Both links do support this show. Um, and where else can people find you on the internet? Definitely Facebook me. Okay. And you, when you say Facebook you, you are saying anybody can Facebook friend request you and you will accept it? I will. And thank you so much for appearing on Mother Mother. Um, I had such a great time catching up with you. I hope everyone buys your book. Regardless of whether you think it's for you or not, there are lessons for you in Anne's book. So check it out. Thank you so much for this wonderful mother mother podcast that my kids think is made just for them with their two moms. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Thanks, Anne. Catch you later. Bye. If you loved hearing from Anne, you should totally friend request her on Facebook. Her posts are really great. They are long, but they're worth it. They always have a really good payoff at the end. Thank you so much for listening to Mother Mother. If you want to continue the conversation, join us in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired because damn, we are, I am, we are. You can always find more information about the show, my guests, and people and products mentioned on every episode at mothermotherpodcast.com where yes, you can also leave me a voicemail. I'll be back next Tuesday, hopefully with a more well-rested voice with another episode of Mother Mother. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And please, it would mean the world to me if you share the show with your mom friends, either over text or on social media, or tell them about it in real life. Remember that? Meeting people in real life? Anyway, our theme song, Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham, is performed by the amazing Jocelyn McKenzie with Harry Bowles. Bye. Mother Mother